Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Today, I want to let you in on a little secret. Uh, being a pastor is great. It's my favorite job that I've ever had. Uh, I really enjoy it, actually, and I'm not, I know that previously I was sarcastic and facetious, but this is for real. I really enjoy it, uh, but it also is hard, and I know that uh, because whenever you get together with other pastors, we complain about how hard it is all the time. It's probably like this in every industry, I think, but uh, I only know my own, so I can just speak to that, uh, and it used to be that pastors couldn't say that it's hard to be a pastor. In fact, when I was in seminary, which is like master's degree for uh, bible people, uh, <clears throat> That's probably a better way to explain that. I had a seminary professor, though, who said that church members are going to expect you to be perfect. You can never, you know, let them know that anything is difficult. You have to put on this fake facade. He said they're going to expect you to, like, cut your grass in a suit and tie. That was always his metaphor, which doesn't make too much sense to me. I hate cutting the grass, and I very seldom wear a suit and tie. I literally was thinking about that while I was, like, rehearsing my sermon this afternoon, and I realized that, like, this hoodie that I'm currently wearing, like, came out of the trash. Like, I found it at somebody had like left it somewhere and I was like, ooh, lost and found. Thank you very much when I was a younger and much less moral person than I am now. Anyway, this is the kind of stuff that's going to slow us way down. <clears throat> so when pastors get together, we complain to each other just like other industries, right? We're like willing and able now to actually say like, hey, uh, here's some crazy stuff that has happened to me. One guy said, I had a church member cast a spell on me. And then somebody, you know, says, I had a church not hire me because my wife couldn't play the piano. One of them says, like, I had to meet in a parking lot for church and somebody parked in the middle of my sanctuary, right? Uh, all of those are real stories. They didn't all happen to me. One of them did, though. It's kind of two truths and, or two lies and a truth, I guess. Um, anyway, you can guess and sort of, you know, work that out. <clears throat> Here's the thing. Uh, the reason that we do that, the reason that we share with each other is because there is a sense uh, that this is a group of people that will actually understand what I'm talking about. And somehow that opens up these big doors of freedom. Uh, it opens up these doors of comfort. There's something about solidarity in the sense that like someone has experienced, experienced something just like what you have experienced that somehow alleviates grief. And I don't even know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on why that would be the case. And yet somehow it's magical when you're talking to someone and you're like, I went through this and they respond, I went through the exact same thing or something similar. All of a sudden you have such a deeper bond with that person and somehow your grief feels less heavy to you than it would have previously. What if I told you and I think this is the very crux of this passage. What if I told you that Jesus actually has solidarity with you in your grief? That in your deepest suffering, in your most painful moment, Jesus has solidarity with you. He experiences that sameness of being able to say that, yes, yes, I understand what you are experiencing because I've experienced something similar. I'm gonna roll through the text really, really fast. Verse 10, it says, for it was fitting for he... It was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. He opens by saying, it was fitting. It makes sense. The one who, for whom everything was made and through whom everything was made should save humanity by being made perfect through suffering. It's really interesting too here. The author of Hebrews clearly has a different picture of suffering than I do because he said that Jesus was actually made perfect through suffering. 
And this word perfect doesn't mean the same thing that we use for the word perfect, right? Perfect for us describes like, you know, when someone does a perfect gymnastics routine or like Chris Evans' chiseled jaw. Yeah, that was for you, Danielle. Little little shout out for you. We all know she's a big fan of Chris Evans. That's probably really weird. You know, like we stream this on Facebook. There's like some random stranger out there that's like, who is Danielle and what is her thing with Chris Evans? And why does this pastor feel comfortable calling her out? Anyway, moving on. Um, for first century people, especially for Jewish people, this term was much more loaded. In fact, uh, it, ref- it is the noun telos, or I'm sorry, the noun telos refers to the end of all things. So then the noun of made perfect or teleio, which is the word that is here, means to complete or to make real, to realize, or to make it the way that it was always supposed to be. So that perfection then is no longer a sense of just like, you know, this is something that looks beautiful or is, you know, right. It's more a sense that this thing is finally made whole. This thing is finally completed. And so the author here is telling us that Jesus is perfected through suffering. It seems that in God's good plan of the universe, he decided that Jesus should only be complete by taking on this task of suffering for humanity, of suffering for you and for me. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. What kind of ridiculous humility is this that Jesus in all of his perfect holiness does not mind being called brothers with those he went to save? Like that the very people that he goes down to save, he is willing to be called brothers with them. This would be like Bill Gates working at Microsoft and talking to the cleaning crew and the cleaning crew's like, hey man, you're my brother. Or no, he tells them, hey, you're my brother. He's like, we all draw a paycheck from Microsoft, so we must be brothers. We're in this together, right? That's the ludicrousness of what Jesus actually says to you and to me. It should just give us a brief but important insight into the way that we should think about ourselves, that simultaneously we are sinful, we are separated from God, we are broken and frail people, but at the same time, Jesus considers us brothers. That's why he is not ashamed to call us brothers. We'll roll on. It says in in verse 12, continuing, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of my congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God God has given me. Now here again, if you've been following along, you know that this guy, uh, the author of Hebrews, he loves to quote scripture. And so right here, he is referencing Old Testament scripture to sort of bolster his point to say that actually all of this was leading towards Jesus to begin with. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus took on flesh and blood, he became human, so that through death he might conquer death. That in using the enemy's own weapon against him, he might destroy death once and for all to deliver those who are subject to lifelong slavery to the fear of death. Now, here's what's really interesting, and I won't geek out on this as long as I would like to, uh, but this was actually a pretty common idea in ancient Greek philosophy that fearing death was kind of like an enemy, that that was like some evil that was plaguing humanity. It actually enslaved us. In fact, someone once wrote of Socrates that when he was in prison, he elected not to leave so that he could show the world that he was not afraid of death, that he was free from the fear of death. 
Now, here's the beautiful irony in this, is that the author of Hebrews is clearly working off this idea. He knows that Greek philosophers are out there trying to figure out how we break ourselves free from this free of death. And he says that Jesus is not a stopgap. He's not a way to think your way out of fear of death, but he is a way in which you can actually eliminate the fear of death, that we as human beings can be delivered from lifelong slavery to the fear of death. Jesus put death to death so that we would not be enslaved to that fear anymore. Essentially, the eternal life that Jesus offers frees us from being enslaved to the fear of death. And then this last section. For surely it is not angels that he helps. Back to the angels, man. Every single week with this guy, right? He's all about the angels. Anyway, sorry. Uh, For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but is the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The author really leans into a crucial aspect of who Christ is. And it's something that we get from multiple different places in Scripture, but we seldom get from the exact same place in Scripture. But here he hits on this idea uh, that uh, we see that he is simultaneously the one for whom and through whom everything exists and the one who became flesh and blood and was made just like us. Specifically, that Christ was somehow a part of the creation of the universe, that Christ was somehow God enough to be completely distinct and separate from us, and also became human so that he could in every way be like us. That Christ simultaneously exists as fully God and fully human. He was made like us in every way so that he could stand in our place, And it took a a human being to actually be able to represent all of humanity in this case, but it also took a God to be able to do anything about our condition. This is the heart of the gospel, that God came down in human form, that he came down as Jesus, that he became human so that he might save human beings while simultaneously being a perfect being and living a perfect life so that he might have the power and authority to put death to death. Now, so far, all of this has been pretty abstract, you know, kind of pie in the sky, theological, whatever you want to call it. But it leads us to this place where uh, the author wraps up this chapter. He says that because of this taking on humanity, because of how Jesus came down, it actually allowed him to to become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. And then he closes by saying, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. It gets back to that uh, idea of solidarity that we talked about at the beginning. That somehow, in addition to saving the universe by coming down, in addition to like uh, fulfilling God's plan and being the climax of the story that God is telling throughout all of history, in addition to all of that, it gave Jesus almost an unintended benefit that he is now able to have solidarity with you and I. He is now able to be a merciful high priest. He is now able to help those who are being tempted because he himself was being tempted. He's merciful because he somehow experienced all that we do and remained righteous. It makes him understand it. 
Even though he never sinned, he understands what it is like to be human. He understands what it's like to even uh, desire to do something. He understands what it's like to have something put in front of you that you know is not the right answer and want to choose it because it might be an easy out. He knows what that looks like. He is helpful in suffering when tempted because he gets it. I like that the author recognizes here that even being tempted is a form of suffering. That sometimes seeing something uh, that maybe is an obvious sin or seeing something that, that feels like some sort of shortcut or is going to harm someone else, something that looks like it would be an easy way around when you know the right thing to do, that walking away from those type of situations and actually doing the right thing can sometimes feel like suffering. That sometimes even doing the right thing, even rejecting temptation feels like suffering. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus gets it. Jesus experienced a fully human life. And I know that we want to say like, oh no, we're all unique. Everything that's happened to me has never happened to anybody else before. Everything is totally different. And yet, there's a sense at which Jesus fully experiencing a human life that he's glimpsed at least a taste of whatever it is that we're going through. He understands enough to be able to empathize with us. He understands enough for it to make him merciful. Many of us have this idea in our minds that God is just up there and when we're like faced with a choice, like do the right thing or the wrong thing, he's just like, those dummies down there going to make the wrong decision. Told them not to, but they should have listened. And yet this verse would fly directly in the face of that. That Jesus' time here on earth actually gave him the ability to have solidarity with us, to be merciful to us, to understand our plight and our challenge when we are being tempted. And here's the question, because we all love that friend who steps in and who has that solidarity with us. When we're experiencing a problem, we want to say, who's my friend that knows this exact same thing, that's experienced this exact thing? How can they walk through this with me? What if you could combine that level of solidarity with the omniscience that, that comes with being God? Like, what if you could combine the fact that he was fully human and actually able to live a human life and experience temptation and challenges and suffering? He had his friends die. He had people leave him. He had people accuse him. He had people reject him. He was faced with difficult choices. He experienced that fully and completely as a human being. And then you were able to combine that very human experience with the all-knowing nature of being the God of the universe. What you would end up with is someone who always, always understands. Someone who knows exactly what you're going through. Someone who feels your pain, who understands the complexity and difficulty of your emotions. And someone who is merciful, kind, and gentle. That's who Jesus is. He's experienced enough to be able to understand and he is God enough to forgive us when we fail, to help us find the right direction and to never leave or abandon us. 
Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you that you came down to us when we couldn't make it to you. God, that you stepped in and you lived a human life even though you didn't have to. And that in addition to giving us everything and saving us from our sins, God, it wasn't enough. You also take that next step and that you are merciful and kind and you understand us. God, in the midst of our plight, in the midst of our troubles, remind us. Let us know, let us feel it down deep in our bones that you know where we are, God, that you have felt the things that we feel and you understand how we feel. We thank you for this good and precious gift. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.